Welcome, my fellow humans slash aliens and disguised of humans. Welcome back. It is that time of day, night, whatever. It's time and space that really doesn't matter. Alien Dad smoke break time. Is it pretty much any time in the galaxy of time? Always. It's always smoke break time. So I've been really pondering exactly what I wanted to bring to this podcast and talk about because my mind wants to just keep talking about uh, the book that I'm reading right now, which is uh, by Robert Kennedy. It's The Real Truths of Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma. And um, super interesting. And oh my God, the amount of information my brain is dealing with right now um, is tremendous. And the truth of the realities that it is finding um, are heartbreaking. So I am not really in a position to talk about the book necessarily yet. I haven't had enough time to process all the information, and I don't just want to. This is I don't want to make this podcast just politics because that is not who I am. So I decided let let me share a little insight on who I am today. And I want to talk to you because one thing the past year I have really been focusing on doing. Breathwork. I read uh, the book Bre- uh, Breathe, Breath, by James Nestor. Beautiful book. Awesome book. Brilliant book. I mean, the research behind that book and, and breathing and what we have lost as the humans we are today on the knowledge of breath and how to breathe, he talks about, and he talks about the effects that it's having Everything it seems like we're doing today is wrong in the sense of what what earlier beings have discovered as being the best, even in children. Like, I, I think I mentioned this, like anything, all the research that we have on kids that we had in, in the late 1800s by, by some amazing philosophers, amazing scientists, amazing people who observed, studied children at, at their wholest and watched, you know, and, and examined um, exactly what is the best environment, the best way that we can support and raise children. And they, and they have um, Piaget uh, is, I think, a little older than what I'm thinking about. Um, Erickson, I believe, is another one. Um, it's been a minute since I've went over these, but those, I mean, it's, it's something really, if you're interested in that, I mean, get into it, look into it, it's super, the things that they, they did end up finding out, and how, when our school systems were created, right, um, all that just got thrown out the window, and it was almost like we found all this beautiful data out, and it was, that was, I think, like, the biggest slap in the face to, in America, is taking all that data, because a lot of it was European-induced, a lot of it was over sees that um, Piaget was, a, uh, she was, I believe, she was overseas as well, so, again, I'm kind of rusty on this, it's been like two, three years since I thought about this, um, my point being, humans are naturally scientists, you study kids, that's what you learn, you learn that they are curious about everything, and they want to know 
why, how it works. Like, they want to know. And, and they want to do trial and error to figure it out. Like, that's just what naturally happens. Children just learn through trial and error. They just learn through trying something, making a mistake, and going, oh, well, that didn't work. And then trying something else. If you observe children at their, at their very beginning stages, we learn so much about humanity. We learn that hate is taught. Right, and that goes back to these like preceded agreements that happen. Because if from an early age you're told, so um, this is where I kind of wanted actually to get. This is a perfect, we'll just sideline right here. Because what I wanted to talk about today was a little bit about me, um, my experience, who I am. Because I haven't really got into that yet. Um. Pretty much what I wanted to say about what we know is if we allow children the correct environment, and I can't remember if we've talked about this on here, the correct environment to thrive, we give them all the tools, we give them all the support, we give them everything that they need, and we observe them, and we scaffold them, we, we give them challenges that are just slightly challenging or like slightly harder, I'm sorry, slightly harder than and where they're at now, but we're there to support them, and they're not out of reach, you know, the next goal, the next step isn't out of reach, we help them reach it, and then they grow, right, and then maybe they have a total different interest, and we help them in that, that's not what we do, that's not what we're doing, um, at least not as a whole, uh, and also the way that we use language, so children and, and the elderly are the most abused, neglected, beings on earth and what's what's not funny i guess what's funny but not funny is the people who are abusing them essentially are related to them are it's it's like in my head i have this image of a baby um who's told all this nasty 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 who grows into the adult who then turns to the baby and the elderly right, because they're vulnerable, and because they were hurt early on, now they feel that they have the authority now that they're at that, at that point in their life, right, when I've seen it where people's parents get dementia, oh my god, it's heartbreaking, it's hard, the whole situation is heartbreaking, and families will come in, and they will be so mean, why are you crying, stop crying, and these people have, the resident, their son, or their mom, their dad has no idea what's going on, Besides that they know that person's familiar. And then the, this, the parent or the child is asking the dementia or Alzheimer's parent, do you remember who this is? Do they, they pull out albums and, and the, the parent's like, stop. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, cause they don't. And and then the child gets upset and yells at them. And then the, pers- the dementia person's like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, and people just think it's okay just to talk to them. Just nasty. What's wrong with you? Why can't you remember? Like, you're so frustrating. How can you not remember that? Like, yes, mom, you have to do this. We're so impatient with the people that we need to be the most patient with. If you allow yourself to be on child time, or you allow yourself to get on the the, the 
tune your radios, tune your wavelengths into a person who's dementia, and get on their wavelength of time. And you realize that they live in a totally different dimension while walking around on Earth. Only people in the middle really conceive time. Once the mind slips away from the idea of time and attaches to a bunch of other things, the idea of time is pointless to them. They don't care because their brain is so focused on other things. And you recognize that in children when they get really focused in on exploring the world, they don't care. So when it's time to move on to something else, it's frustrating to them because time is not a concept to them. They've put their minds in a totally different realm, totally different place. Their bodies are here, but their minds have escaped. It's gone. They're, they're playing in a whole other world that other kids can play in as well and see. And if you allow yourself to escape, just let time go. And I remember when I worked at the preschool, and we would be outside, and I'd run around with these kids for like a half an hour. We would just chase. I'd have, I'd have like 10 to 12, 2 and a half to 3-year-olds chasing me around the playground, right? And... Time just didn't seem to be anything. We would be playing in the castles, and somebody would be it, or and then they'd create these like little games, and like, oh, now you're hurt, you need to go here. I'm like, yeah, I do, I need to go here, I broke my arm, you need to fix it. And what you realize is when you're in kid mode, the rest of the world doesn't matter either. Because you're so present, and you're so present that you've slipped away from the present, that you've actually trickled into, I think we talked a little bit about that headspace when I was talking about soul uh, in the second podcast. So how does all this relate to me, right? Let me get back to that. Kids are beautiful, right? But what happens is we stop supporting them and start telling them this is who you need to be because it fits a certain narrative instead of seeing what narrative they want to participate in. You know, instead of looking at them as this gem. So what happened to me, um, now that I did a lot of reflecting, a lot of logical thinking, a lot of anecdotal laying my life out by events. Um, also, I, I recently read a book called Once a Girl, Always a Boy. Um, I, uh, I believe, I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you the author. Names are not my strong suit, and I need, that is a weakness of mine. I try. I've gotten better at remembering bits, so I'm trying to get better. The more information I retain, the easier it'll be. But that's a really good book for anybody who um, can relate to or has or knows somebody or wants to understand more about um, the experience behind somebody who has, who has went through... Um, being brought into the world and, and, and identifying as one thing, the world kind of seeing them as another, and them being confused and not understanding until they're older, like, oh. And I think where a lot of people who are not, or who do not identify or can't identify with the LGBT, so somebody who's trans, somebody who's gay, lesbian, um, non-binary, I, you know, anybody who's queer, under the queer umbrella, I think a lot of people in the queer umbrella understand 
is that you're kind of an outsider from what society has set as a standard, as a baseline. And the last wave of the queer community, which I would say is, you know, people who are 30, 40s, and they're, and they're really, uh, and, and now this younger generation who's openly trying to come out more, and be like, yeah, no, now that I know that, like, it's an option, because if you don't, if you suppress information and you never allow it to be an option, you, you can't say it doesn't exist, you know, same example if you're standing there and you walk behind a wall, you're still there, I just can't see you, but I, you know, if, if I never knew you were standing there in the first place, I wouldn't know you existed, but then you could step out and be like, whoa, where'd you, like, you, but you'd been there the whole time. Suppressing information from children doesn't mean that we are making children these ways by telling them that it's okay if you are feeling this way. So, when I was born, from as long as I can remember, I grew up on, my, uh, on the farm, and I was a little boy that pretty, like, I don't remember a lot of wearing dresses at a very young age, but I can tell you that most of my memories are viewed as me seeing myself as more of a male than a female. I identified with maybe more of like what my dad would do or my grandpa or like more just the male figures around me and that was more just what I naturally was attuned to. Um, and then as I got older and I had the influence of friends, I automatically, I think, gravitated towards um, the boys. And I'm not saying there weren't girls that I didn't also like, you know, and we had fun and got along, but I think most of my activity would have been more looked at as a boy. And so I would say first grade um, was where I was a boy, and it's probably my last year of actually um, remembering. Now, I'm not, like, so, so the other thing you have to remember is in social settings at school, I was referred to as a girl, and I understood, it was like I understood that um, tomboy was really what hit in first grade, and so most people referred to me as a tomboy. Um, I remember my teacher especially was constantly calling me a tomboy, and I, and I liked that because it got away from people viewing me as a girl, so most of my buddies... Um, especially my close, my close guy friends, um, they all, they all see me as a boy, as a tomboy, like, and I was scrappy as a motherfucker, I didn't put up with their shit, I beat the fuck out of them, like, when we would play soccer, I was the meanest, roughest badass out there, like, you were not gonna outpower me, I had, I had a target on my back, and all the guys would be gunning for me and trying to hurt me, so that I couldn't play with them, you know, so there was a lot of, a lot of things that I had to, early on, I had to just accept, like, when, if I wanted to play soccer on the co-ed, I loved that, and I remember just being out there with the guys, and out working them, out shooting them, out playing them, and then I would get so pissed, because my buddies and I, right, it's more like a friendly competition, like, yeah, we'd get mad at each other, or whatever, but, like, to me, it was more just, like, the guys having a friendly competition, like, who's better, who's, you know, and we're competing, but we're still best buddies, you know, like, at the end of, at the end of it, it's like, all right, man, like, we're still friends, unlike girls who, like, are so catty, like, I don't even want to talk about
But what happened was that after the games would be over with, people would be like, oh, you did so great. Like, I can't believe for a girl you're doing that. And it's like, whoa, what? And, like, anything anybody would ever say after that sentence, like, I can't believe for a girl, any time I would, it would not resonate what you said. And all I would hear is, for a girl, like, why the fuck does that matter? And I remember from a very early age, like, going, like, like, not even being able to put it into words, just being able, like, just getting caught up on the word girl. And just being, like, why? Like, why is that all you see, I think? You know, like, see me. Like, you're not seeing me if you're seeing this, oh, just because you're a girl. Like, I, I'm exactly the same as these guys. Like, I'm stronger than them. I'm faster than them. Like, you have to remember, at home, I was growing up on a farm. So I was working, right? Even in first grade, like, I was on the farm helping, bottle feeding calves, you know, shoveling the barn. So I was a working kid. I was constantly busy. And by second and third grade, you know, things were starting to change a little bit because it wasn't so as accepted for me. So in first grade, I wore boy clothes specifically. I remember specific outfits. I remember hand-me-downs, uh, this one set sweatshirt uh, from my first grade teacher that I just cling to. Because it was from her son, I was like, yes, like a boy sweatshirt, like, yeah, you know, and it just made me feel good to wear it, and the fact that she was like, yeah, and then the fact that she, like, fully supported me, I had this blue and orange, there's a basketball and jersey-like shirt set that I wore to the zoo, and God, I just loved it, and I felt so happy, even though I had bangs, which I fucking was like, I hated no boys had bangs, but I had to just not, and, and my hair was always in a ponytail because I had super long curly hair, um, which didn't really bother me, like, the fact that I had this long hair, and I was, like, a long-haired boy, um, that never really bothered me. It bothered me when I cut it, and I it was short, and, it, and I was in third grade, and it looked like a girl's haircut. I hated that. I hated it. And then my mom would curl it, and I was just like, all right, I fucking hate every second of my life. So, that's really what happened, like, the shift in third grade, it was more, um, not so acceptable for me to wear boy clothes, and, um, a, there was, like, adult kind of behavior that suggested that I liked my buddies, and Valentine's Day happened, and my mom, it just, we gave him chocolates, and it was so awkward, I felt like, I'm like, I'm not gay, like, I don't like him, like, that, like, he's my bro, like, and here my mom is giving him this chocolates, I remember just being so embarrassed, and just being like this, and then after that, like, that was pretty much it, like, they were not my friends, because they thought I liked them, and that really didn't pan out, so, I think fourth grade, and so on, I kind of was just like, I don't really know where I fit, um, and then it was like, the seed, I think I kind of had it to accept by fourth grade that I was a girl, and so I think fourth grade is when I was like, all right, well, what do girls do, and so I started trying to talk to girls, and I had no fucking idea how to talk to girls, I have no idea, so I probably didn't have the bestest of friends in fourth grade, because I had no clue what I was doing, and, uh, I had to just figure people out that would actually talk to me, and, um, and fifth grade happened, and we started basketball, and, um, I started playing, and I would honestly say that what happened to me was, 
people told me that I was a girl. Girl, 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 right? I went from a tomboy to a girl really quickly, in my opinion. And once the girl seed got planted, I couldn't root it up. I had, I like accepted it that yes, I'm a girl. Even though in my moral, in my heart, I knew that I was a boy. I knew that everything that I liked and was fun and enjoyable to me was doing the things that, you know, the, the boys were doing. And it really wasn't, as, it's not really about gender necessarily, more than it is about just expression. Like, I remember going to the zoo and, like, having so many memories of that day because of the outfit that I had on, because of, like, I felt, like, I remember walking and just being so proud and, like, smiling for my photos because I felt good. And then after that, like, probably never again did I feel that good because it was taken from me. And I was forced into clothes I didn't want to wear. And I think that's where in middle school you see, like, I didn't take very good care of myself. I looked really fucking shitty. Because I didn't care. I didn't care about myself. Like, it was like, is this, is this fine? You like this? Can I go outside now? You know? Um, and it's like, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not saying, you know, like, people, you know, you do the best you can. And when you, you know, from my mom's perspective, because that's the thing. So this book, a lot of what I'm talking about reflects the book, um, Once a Girl, Always a Boy. Because he kind of had the same experience. And that's when I was reading it, I was like, man, like, this is, this is insane, um, and this is, you know, because in the book, like, he, this, that happened to him, and, but he was allowed to play football as a girl, but again, you know, as he got older, because he was a girl, um, he was treated differently, he was kind of pushed back, and wasn't allowed, and then his buddies, you know, for him, it happened a little later on, for me, it happened earlier on, um, but the point, what, like, what I realize is, is that, you know, the reason that people, um, who are, who identify as trans, often just, they have similar experiences that other people didn't have, um, that they can relate to, and so together, like, it's almost like you form this coherent understanding and bond, because those are really painful, traumatic things to deal with that, if you don't go through them, I don't think you really understand. So, let me break that down a little bit to what it felt like, and um, really quick before I do that, what was interesting about the book was his mom writes from his perspective, so does the dad, throughout the childhood. So, as, as Jeremy talks about what his experiences were growing up as this, as this little girl and trying to accomplish things that he loved to do, but being viewed as a girl... And then as time got older, being pretty much discriminated against and and not, like, nobody listening, you know. Eventually, he took the seed, and he got really sick, and, you know. But the mom and the dad also described their, their, their not their opinions, um, perspectives on the situation of how they were trying to help Jeremy. They had good intentions. They loved their child. They hated... You know, and, and I guarantee if my mom would read that book, she would relate to that. And so that's where it's like, I, and I think probably a lot of people who've had the similar experiences and maybe identify as transgender or non-binary or whatever, um, who can relate to this, you know, if your parent is accepting and loving and in your life still today, I'm sure that there was an understanding of, you know, because the biggest thing about these experiences is you have to overcome yourself. 
and you have to recognize like the f bigger picture to break down all the pieces and to go this is the root of my problem because it happened so early on and there were so many influences that it took me like two years to really dig down and go find the rose bush or the bush the pricker the pricker bush that was squashing my beautiful garden that I was trying to plant as an adult because um, I couldn't it wouldn't let me grow anything new because the, I hadn't went back and unplanted the seed of you are a girl I wasn't living my truth because I had accepted back in third second probably third grade that you are a girl and now in fourth grade I started behaving more or trying to or you know thinking more about it and I lost myself and by middle school I had no idea who I was and I didn't care I didn't care I you know um, was not happy at all I dated guys because you know because that's what you're supposed to do and the main reason is because I didn't want to be lonely and I didn't know what the hell I was going through I like my life was just a fucking mess I had all these hormones that were happening that I was like what is going on and I was looking at the guys and you know in envy and I didn't realize it then but it really was and I think there was a big disconnect between the girls that I had friendships with and myself because I didn't feel like I fit in at all like I didn't care about half the shit that they talked about and what really hurt is when, you know, a lot of them, you know, were, were just mean in general um, and would say things. And when I started to come out of by different things, it wasn't reciprocated well with them. And it was kind of like um, I was the odd duck and it, I'm a, I was an easy target for people, which, you know, again, I don't hold anything against anybody we've all grown and, and learned and I hope you know my experience you know can maybe help other people that don't get it um, have a little better view um, so we can really depressed and by high school luckily I found the gym and that I found an outlet in sports and you know Jeremy really talks about that as well and how he found his outlet in sports, even if it was playing with girls, um, and I just became closed off, and I remember, like, so many times that when I was just alone, and choosing to not participate in school events and stuff, and being like, man, like, your freshman year, you know, I had a lot of friends, I participated, like, all this, and it was fun, and I remember being like, man, like, how did you go from this person that everybody's seen and looked up to to kind of being like in a shadow of your own self? And I didn't know at the time. Like, I was like, I, I don't know. Um, looking back, it was because Logan got suppressed and he got told to shut up. That's not, you're not, you're not living your life in this life right now. Because, you know, um, and you need to fit a different narrative. And by high school, it was, I don't like the narrative, and I don't want to do it. And I think for me, instead of rebellious, and because there was, there was one of two ways I could have went. Uh, one of them was completely giving up on school and life and, 
getting into, if I would have gotten, if I would have found weed in high school, that, I don't know, that probably would have opened my eyes too much, and I would have, I don't know if I would have finished high school, like, to be honest, I probably would have dropped out because of the mindset that it would have, you know, unleashed, um, because the mindset that I ended up with was, let's get the fuck out of here, let's work our ass off, like, luckily, I did have some beautiful, amazing people in my life who were there for me in those early moments when they didn't realize it, and gave me a space, and showed me, you know, adults who showed me, like, hey, man, like, just swing this kettlebell, (laughs) like, what, just swing the kettlebell, now, all right, clean the kettlebell, all right, jerk the kettlebell, okay, do that for 10 minutes, don't set it down, (laughs) I got really into kettlebells, um, I got really into lifting, I got really into focusing on being strong, and then I got focused on money, and my next moves, and because I stayed focused on that, I was able to shift my energy from what the fuck's going on inside my body, why do I hate myself, where, like, what's happened to me, where did Logan go, to let's focus on something else, and I think, honest to God, at that point in my life, I was just really sad and and dark, seeking light, and through exercising, through putting my, my body and my mind, and I also, like, I got a concussion my junior year, and that really slumped me out, and I think, um, when I went through that, I kind of had a lot of time to reflect, and then it was like, all right, like, let's go. Like, by the time I turned 18, it was like, stop pitying yourself, get up, and let's go figure this out. And I think, you know, that's where you could see the rest of my life unfold. And I just stayed focused. Like, I worked my ass off. I had good jobs. I finished school. I finished college. I have a home. And I did all these things very young. I took on a family. But the main thing that I was able to do is get to a place of comfort and a good, a good solid foundation that allowed me to stop, especially when the pandemic hit, it, it, like, my whole life stopped, I lost my job, and I had nothing to do but sit and think, so from the time of the pandemic, um, after I graduated during the pandemic, and then lost my job for, like, the next year and a half, I really just was just thinking, and just, like, going through it, and trying to figure out what is this piece, what's missing, I have this beautiful life, I have this home, I have a good, or well, I didn't have a good job at that point, but I had a degree, and at that point I was working with children, so I was, I was pretty happy, like, honestly, I was like, you're, like, you're working, I was working out, I was eating good, I'm like, what's missing, and, um, the more questions I kept asking, the more answers, like, the universe would give me, it's the only way that I can, I can think of that, So I guess my point here is, A, um, just because people identify as transgender does not mean that we've all had the same experiences. It means we've had similar ones that I can relate to your pain at such a personal level because I've physically experienced the mindset you've had, and very little people maybe have been there. Maybe you've been there with body dysmorphia and not liking yourself, but when you're being told that you're a different person than who you know you are, right, and I think maybe there's a lot of people that can relate to that statement, but in the sense of, like, society's rejecting you, 
right? And there's still probably a lot of people who can relate to that statement who don't identify as trans, right? And and that's beautiful because that's honestly that's the real experience of transgender is, you know, and, and for some people who are just socially accepted, right? It's a lesson that maybe they learned in a different way. Um, but when you're a kid and you're suppressed information, you're not, you know, nobody really knew about transgender when I was little, at least in my country, neck of the woods. Um, I knew that at home I was safe and I could be my boy self, my country boy. I could wear cowboy boots and jeans and tuck in my shirt and wear my cowboy hat and I could be a cowboy. Even though people, like, you know, seen me differently, the best thing is as a hooligan. I love that one as a hooligan. Um, a rug rat. <laughs> Because I was just myself, you know, I was always just Logan, and I think there's so many people that can relate to that statement, like, I was just me. And I'm not blaming anybody. The experiences that I have, again, like, I can put out there and be like, listen, parents, like, as a parent myself, as I watch my daughter grow, I watch her experience new uh, journeys of her own with relationships, and as we're getting into... uh, middle school in the next couple years here, right, and we're going to start going through puberty and things are going to change, like, I think back to my times, and it's like, don't force these kids to be people they don't want to be, right, instead, we need to inspire, and we need to shape, and we need to show them by examples, so the best thing for any parent that you could do is be happy with yourself, and that's the only thing I can really say, because until I came out and was like, listen, everybody, like, I'm not a female. I am totally a dude. And I need some fucking testosterone in me. <laughs> I need to feel manly. I need to be able to, like, I've been working out for years. And the structure that I had just did not look how I, like, I hated it. I wouldn't even, like, a lot of times I wouldn't even look at myself. Because I, you know, and I probably looked really good. But being a male now, having testosterone for, like, 16 weeks and um, being able to put on 20 pounds and build a good amount of mass and muscle in a short time. I, in, in my mindset, you know, not racing so much, you know, the seed that had been growing and betraying and spewing all this lies and darkness and dividing is now gone. And now I'm left with beautiful land to start over. Um, it's kind of like you have to, you know, you have to, you have to die. You have to go through again that ego death and you have to realize like, holy shit, like there's so much more to this and having the perspective of growing up as a female, like there's definitely so many things we could talk about, you know, and then as I go through, you know, I know other people have talked about this, you know, the difference that you get treated as, as a guy. And I can tell you right now, people who really only know me so far, like at work and stuff that know me more as a male than they, than they did as a female they have a totally different respect to me. They don't caddy with me as much, and they don't bullshit me. Like, they don't, like, and I love that, first of all, but the second of all, it's like, I think there's a women's code understanding where, like, there's all this, this silent language that goes on between women, um, body language, especially. And it's really confusing. And the woman's brain, I can tell you right now, thinks so differently than the man's brain. And again, this is only a few few weeks on, you know, 16 weeks on testosterone. My brain changed. That was like one of the first things that happened was my brain 
development, the way I thought, my thought process changed. And it almost, like, I think that's why I has, have had so much rush of, like, my childhood back, because it almost goes back to my third grade self, my second grade self, the way that I thought before my body, like, changed and went through all this. And I had, like, tons of estrogen, testosterone. We need to support our babies, but we also need a um, major key is to educate them. So, we as parents need to educate ourselves, because I think right now we cannot help our children until we help ourselves. We can't teach our kids how to fish if we've never caught a fish in our life. <laughs> we need to learn how to fish, we need to learn how to catch them, we need to learn everything there is to know, and then we need to pass that information on. We need to learn how to live healthy, how to live good lives, how to find good information, how to spend time with yourself every day, um, and to learn how to love yourself, and to learn, like, that the physical being of you is not the end-all, be-all, you know, and, and I think that's been my biggest message, is people are like, oh, you're gonna change who you are, and I'm like, I get why you're scared of that, because my appearance is gonna be different, and I'm gonna sound different, and Maybe I'll act different. But what you don't understand is that's the real me. And this version that you keep seeing is not. And it's really frustrating because I'm being treated differently than had I been a boy. And I, I can tell you that I've said that to myself so many times. Had I been a boy, I think I talked about this in one of my episodes about my first job and getting, getting um, almost $2 less than what was discussed because I was a female. And being young and not in the position enough to be like, yo, man, no, you said $10. Like, I, right? I was just like, uh, uh. <laughs> you took advantage of me. And there's other times as a woman that I've been taken advantage of. And as a man, um, that's never going to happen again, first of all. And second of all, um, I will always stand up for women and be more independent. And if men are going to suppress that, then other men that agree with women and stand up for women and believe that without women, this world would be complete, utter chaos. We need women. We need everybody. We need people who are not identifying as a gender at all because everybody, everybody is a human being. And everybody deserves to be here. That doesn't mean that just because you're here, you have um, unlimited amount of freedom. We still need to respect people. We still need to love people and, and try to understand. And the biggest issue is because social media and um, the news are such specks of information you're not able to cluster together the entire picture of what's actually happening. And this can go for anything. This can go for somebody, you know, if you're struggling with your kid and you're like, I, I don't get what's going on with my child, right? I don't understand why, you know, my child is telling me that they don't, they don't identify as a gender. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it's like, okay. So that's fine. That's good that you know that, right? accept that, say, ah, this makes no sense to me, and now start asking questions, right, because we can't assume anything, so if you don't understand it, how can you, what can you do, can you talk to your kid more, 
when you read books, when you go find other parents, other people who have gone through this, when you ask them questions, what are you willing to do, right? Because it's not a matter of can you, it's are you willing to do it? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone with your child? And I think that's what a lot of, um, um, a lot of the discussion around kids coming out as uh, queer, under the queer umbrella, it's like that, Chime better. It just covers everybody. Um, is that parents don't understand it, and so when we don't understand something, it's uncomfortable for us. And learning can be uncomfortable for some because they're so, they just, they want everything to be the same. I was raised this way, this is how I'm raising my kid, because this is how I know. Because it's based on our experiences. But before you had all those experiences, they were all new to you and you had to learn them. So it's all about perspective, because if you look at your experiences as, as failures, as new journeys, as life lessons, and as more um, losses than successes, but the successes are what made you, we can look at our kids as the same way and go, it's not about me. My journey is being here and supporting my child. And that's what that's what Journey's mother does a amazing, in my opinion, just this a beautiful um, way of demonstrating a parent's perspective of somebody going through a child's identity uh, journey is what I'll call it. That's what, yeah, that's what I'll call it. Um, because she just she illustrates some real some real talk, I'll say, like, real things that happen that I think is suppressed because people are ashamed that maybe they, they said that as a parent, right, they don't want to own up to, I did, I did call my child this, or I did tell my child that, they want to suppress it, they want to put it away, and they want to say, I didn't do that, right, or I'm not, I'm not, um, hurting my child by, not allowing them to, to wear something that makes them feel good, right? Because they need to look good for this photo. Well, that's about you again, right? Because if, if the child, like, there's there's strategies that we can use to, to get both ways. We have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones as parents and try them out and recognize that this isn't about me. It's not personal. This is about me supporting my child and their needs because they are their own person. They are their own individual. Because so often we look at children as our property. This is mine, and I get to control it. No, it's not. It's yours to love, and yours to watch over and protect. And if we can change the way that we look at our children, that'll change our mindset, and that'll also change our reaction eventually, because it'll get rid of those pre-agreements that you had growing up as a child that your mom, your dad, or your uncle, aunt, grandma, whatever, teachers, there, and maybe you'll find some truths about yourself and that, hmm, I was actually unhappy raising my child this way because I was unhappy growing up this way as a child. Think about that. So Alien Smoke Dad <laughs> has dropped some truths. It's been pretty, pretty open tonight and honest off to go do dad shit. Let's head back to Earth. My aliens in disguise as human beings and all my 
on my to-do. I really love humans. Sometimes I really hate people, but I really genuinely I love humans at heart. And even the worst humans, there is love there. <laughs> so I guess let's, let's remember that and uh, have a beautiful evening, everybody.